So I'm very excited to get to teach, there we go, to get to teach Jonah this morning. And in all candor, I think we may roll over into next week a little more Jonah as well. Because it's it's a book that's rich with content beyond the simple storyline. And the simple storyline is an amazing storyline. But the content, I want to start jiggling in your brain on this for a moment. I want you to think about it. And think about it in terms of the way Brent just prayed. Jonah is a book that was written for a reason. Now, Jonah's not written for the Assyrians to read. Jonah was written for God's people of Israel and Judah to read. So the message within Jonah is a message that is important for a group of people that really aren't even talked about in the book. Though Jonah himself was an Israelite and lived in the nation of Israel. So that's going to give you a little bit of a glimpse of where we're going to be going. But I thought to start out this morning, I would just tell you that the world is full of good books and good stories. And a lot of people spend their time talking about Jonah in one of two ways. Either telling the story, which is a great, which is a great story to be telling children in vacation Bible school and children in, in all sorts of different forums. It's a really good story that captivates the heart and mind of, of children. And then as we grow into adulthood, we spend most of our time talking about Jonah in terms of whether or not it literally happened or whether it is a story. Now, the world is full of good books and stories, and some of them are stories that did not occur, but are written within a framework that allows us to understand greater principles. One of the prime examples of that are the Chronicles of Narnia. You've got seven books that tell the story of an imaginary land. Aslan is Jesus within those stories. He's the lion. And and you can read those stories and discern a lot about you and I. For example, there is a group in the book Voyage of the Dawn Treader, which was volume three. There's a group of people called Duffel Puds. Now, Duffel Puds have only one leg and one foot, and they hop everywhere. And they all believe in a mentality where they believe that whatever they think is right, and they're very suspicious of the magician who's actually in charge of them, the one who's taking care of them. So, for example, they need fresh water. And the magician says, well, I'm going to cause a clean river to come right by where they live so they can get their fresh water because they're duffel puds. They hop everywhere they go and they'll carry the bucket. But can you imagine how the water sloshes out when you hop? But they're convinced that deceptive, twisted, 
wizard put that stream right there to make them think that that's a better way to get water, but they know better than he does. They're not going to fall for his tricks. So they hop instead a mile down the road to the old dirty stream and get their bucket of water there. And they hop all the way back with the water sloshing out of the bucket. And if you read it, you see C.S. Lewis is making a point that all too often in our relationship with God, we're the duffel puds who God says, do this and you're going to have a much better life. And we're like, oh no, we know better than you. You're just trying to deprive us of the fun of this world. We're going to go over there and hop a mile away to get muddy water. And, and, and so you can see within the story important truths now, C.S. Lewis didn't invent this. His uh, drinking buddy, literally, um, they would go to uh, uh, the Eagle and Child, typically pub, and once a week and discuss their stories, was uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, who did The Lord of the Rings. I read The Lord of the Rings first when I was in high school, as uh, I think our son read them either, he probably read them in kindergarten, but that's another story. Uh, he read them early. But he said to me recently, he said, Dad, I finally read The Lord of the Rings again as an adult. He says, you really should do it. The messages are profound. And they get lost if you don't have the attitude of an adult. You just get caught up in the plot line and don't see the messages that are being put in there about life, morality, God, evil. And he said, I really urge you to start reading them again. And so I've started reading them again. And he's right. Now, those aren't the only ways that we have stories and, and things that help inform us about important things we can learn. If you go back to the biblical times, you'll see Jesus using stories to illustrate points. Now, sometimes those stories are parables that Jesus has, has made up to illustrate a point. Sometimes those stories and metaphors are real life examples. So he can see a, a, a widow woman uh, uh, who's impoverished putting her coins in. And he can draw out of that a, a lesson, a moral story for the people watching. So God's got it, his availability a wide swath of metaphor, of fact, of history. And, and it's important to try and discern what's what. I'm not trying to dismiss that. But I am urging you that among all of the things, the lessons to be learned in Jonah, certainly there is the lesson of a divine God who can do anything he wants. I mean, you don't have to get to the fish to figure out if God's a divine God who can do anything he wants. He makes the storm. And he makes the storm and then he stops the storm as soon as they chunk Jonah overboard. And God's in control of the elements. And we know factually those things occur because Jesus is in control of the storm. And that's clearly not a story. You can read the Gospels. That is a historical account. So I don't want to just get into Jonah and spend my time looking at it to see whether or not the storylines about what kind of fish are in the water or what God can do to put scuba gear 
into a person's lungs so that they can survive for three days without water, I mean without air. That's not my issue. My issue is we've got a really good story here and I don't want to get lost on the purposes of the story by spending our time trying to discern what type of fish it may have been. So if you'll bear with me, I'm going to try to get to the meat of the story. Now my friend Dale Hearn sent me something that he thought would be useful. And so I've got it. I just reproduced it exactly as he sent it to me. I'm afraid Jonah is not satisfied with his accommodations, said the whale. What gave you that idea? queried the octopus. Oh, I have inside information, says the whale. Now, we don't know that it was a whale because that's not the, we, we don't have a Hebrew word that tells us the, the, what type of fish it, it was. Uh, the Hebrew word that's being used is dog. Um, you say dog. Yeah, dog. In Hebrew, a dog's a fish. I can't help it, but that it is. Um, the Hebrew word is dog, uh, uh, although one time it's feminine, daga, but, but it's, it is the Hebrew word just for a fish. I mean, that's the kind of fish you could go catch now. It's a great fish. It's a big fish. So you, it's a gadol. It's a great one, dog. But that's what it is. Now, what I'd like to do to make this class make sense is I want to make sure that we're all fresh on the story. I want to make sure we all know what the story says because then we're going to break the story apart. The story is simple. This is what you need to know if you don't, by some stretch, know the story or remember the story. Israel, divided kingdom, wicked king, Jeroboam II. We're in the 700s before Christ. Jonah is a prophet to the king. The king's evil, but he's still being blessed by God. The territories of Israel are expanding because the northern kingdom of Assyria is in a bit of disarray. More on that next year, next week. But Jonah is told, leave the confines of your home, what you're doing, where you go to work each day, leave what you're doing as a prophet here and go be my mouthpiece to Nineveh, one of the capital cities of uh, about 600 miles away of, uh, of uh, Assyria. Jonah doesn't want to, so Jonah instead flees from God. He goes to Jaffa, which is a, a, a port city, and he takes a boat headed the furthest exact opposite direction he possibly can. While he's on the boat, a storm comes up. Instead of trying to do the help of the sailors and the, the mariners, uh, Jonah just goes down and goes to sleep. Everybody's going to wreck. Everybody's crying out to, for divine intervention. Nothing's coming. They go wake up Jonah. Why aren't you helping us? Why aren't you crying out to your God? You know, we got to cover all of our bases. Jonah says, well, I tell you exactly what's going on. We're going down because of me. And if you want to fix it, just chunk me overboard. And they're like, well, well, that's not the right thing to do. So they're trying desperately to do anything else. Nothing else works. So they chunk him overboard. And God appoints, doesn't say he made, it says he appoints a great fish. So he appoints a fish to come swallow up Jonah and take him down into the depths of the sea for three-day vacation. 
During that three-day vacation, Jonah reaches a point where he's kind of uh, ready to repent. And so repent he does. So God gives Ipecac to the fish. The fish vomits him up. And uh, lo and behold, uh, God says to him, all right, we're going to try this again. Take two. I want you to go to Nineveh. And Jonah says, okay, I'll go. So Jonah goes to Nineveh. Nineveh is a great big city. He walks across Nineveh. He says, uh, repent or die. And lo and behold, they repent. Well, that just chaps Noah's, uh, Jonah's lips. I, 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 <laughs> that just chaps Jonah's lips. And so he goes and sits outside the city and starts pouting. Says, God, you see, I hauled all the way up here. And look, you're not destroying them. I knew you're so merciful, you were going to forgive them. And yeah, thanks a billion. And oh, by the way, do you remember they're our enemy? And God causes a vine to grow up. I mean, he's sitting there. He says, kill me now. And God causes a vine to grow up because it's hot and it shades him. And he's like, well, at least I've got some shade. Then God appoints a worm to go kill the vine. And then he doesn't have the shade. And the story ends with him still pouting and God saying, hey, I care about people. That's the story. Okay? Now that you've got the story, I want to tell you how we're going to do this class. In this class, what I want to do is talk about what the story says first about God. Then we'll talk about what the story says about Jonah. And then we're going to end with our points for home and what it means for you and me. What the story says about us. Those are the lessons that I hope we can get through today. And then next week we'll talk about what it says about the sailors. What it says about the Assyrians. And what it says about us. So, let's start with what it says about God, and to do this, we'll pull the book off the shelf, let's open it up, because it starts out right in the beginning. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. This is the word of the Lord. We know that, that's easy for us, because we've got a Bible, but this is coming out in a time before the Bible's been put together. There are scrolls already present that have uh, um, the, the books of Moses, the Torah. They've already been written in some form. But this is, uh, uh, this is the word of the Lord that is coming out. And um, Devar Adonai, the word of the Lord. And this is an important thing that it's telling us about God. Do you know what it says? God speaks. God is not um, some faraway, mysterious power who just kind of set this world up like a clock, wound us up, and is binge-watching to see how it turns out. God speaks. And He has spoken in Scripture And this has a holy place because it's produced by the Spirit of God through prophets and apostles and his church. But God also speaks to us as well, though in what Kings calls a still small voice. It's it's God speaks through his scripture, but his Holy Spirit also ministers his truth to us. 
So we have the word of the Lord. It's telling us from the very first verse, God speaks. We have an opportunity to hear God. This is not something we should just blase pass by. This is something worthy of stopping for a moment and acknowledging. Uh, yesterday, uh, I had the, the wonderful, blessed opportunity to speak at the funeral of Ken Starr. And it was um, extremely well attended. Um, uh, I was one of many speakers, and uh, 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 Senator John Cornyn spoke. And as I stood up there to speak, and I see Senator Cornyn on the front row, on the second row, I see uh, Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. And he had worked for Ken Starr back in the day, and, and I wasn't surprised to see him there. But when you stand up and you speak, and people are listening you really do kind of tune in to what you're saying. I was careful what I said. I did the funeral, you know, Ken Starr politically. Let's see if this is left and this is right. Ken Starr politically is at this end of the stage. I also preached a funeral 15 years ago, maybe, 10 or 15 years ago, for Fred Barron. Fred was on this side of the stage. And when I preached his funeral, sitting there on the front row, was um, Don Henley, the drummer for the Beatles, not Beatles, Eagles, some bug. Or <laughs> Don Henley, the drummer for the Eagles, um, Lance Armstrong, the cyclist, Senator John Edwards, who at the time had just... Uh, lost his run for the presidency. And when I'm sit, standing up there speaking and I see these people, I'm very careful what I say. Now, God is producing a word. And it's a word not just for Jonah's day. It's a word that he's going to see by his spirit makes it into our holy book. For us to read now, 2,700 years later. You've got to know God's not just speaking off the cuff. So everything that we're reading, we need to read with tender care, knowing that this is the word of the Lord. Got it? So we know God speaks. What else do we know? We know God cares. Let me expand past that first verse. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Arise, go to Nineveh. Now Nineveh is not God's chosen people. Those are the Israelites. Does that mean God doesn't care? Oh no. What did it mean to be an Israelite, to be God's chosen people? It meant to be descended or brought into the family of Abraham. And by chosen, those are the people through whom the promised Messiah would come. 
God chose of all of the peoples, Abraham, through him, to bless all of the nations of the world through the Messiah. God also chose Israel to receive his spirit and produce for us the Old Testament. God also chose Israel as his people to be a light that should shine out into the nations. Now, if uh, you're my mom, mom's having a Rosh Hashanah dinner tomorrow night. At sundown today, the Jewish holiday of Rosh Hashanah, which means New Year, begins at sundown today, and they'll celebrate through tomorrow, and actually I think it's uh, celebrated for several days. It also begins the Holy Week run of 10 days that comes up to Yom Kippur. Yom is Hebrew for day, Kippur atonement, the day of atonement. And during the 10 days from New Year to the day of atonement, during that time period, you're supposed to be reflective on your sins and, and, and uh, uh, be thinking about them and making atonement, you know, asking people for forgiveness, etc., trying to make things right. Now, those are holidays and festivals and celebrations and times of worship that God put in place for his people to be a light to the nations so that the nations would understand that there's a God who cares about sin. There's a very specific menu typically followed. It's not as specific as Passover, but it's, you know, you'll eat some apples dipped in honey. You've got um, uh, sweet, you've got fruit of the land, you've got uh, bread of the earth, you've got, you've got things that are there and God gave Israel dietary laws, not because there's something inherently wrong with eating pork, but because you'd be able to tell Israel was different than everybody else because everybody else is eating pork and Israel's not. They are different. They are a, a chosen people. But that never meant that God wasn't concerned about everybody else. The reason they were chosen is because God wanted to bless everybody else. The reason they're a light on a hill is so everybody else can learn who Jehovah God is. The reason God gave them the Holy Scriptures wasn't to keep them to themselves, but to share them with the world. And so it, it, this is a caring God who cares about Ninevites. And he tells Jonah, Jonah to get up and to go. And to call out because their evil has come up before God. God cares about how they behave. God cares about what they do. There is a time to rise up. And confront evil. And sometimes that's just confronting it with the word of God. Last case scenario, that's confronting it with military force. And there are times, I'm not a pacifist. There are times where it takes military intervention to stop certain kinds of evil. Witness Hitler. But, but, but God cares about this evil in the world. He's not blind to it. He's not numb to it. And he doesn't write it off just because it happens to other people. 
So we see here God cares. You see it later in the book. When God saw what they did, this is after the Ninevites repented. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he'd do to them. And he didn't do it. Then verse uh, 4.11, look at this. When Noah's pouting, and Noah's just, well, fine, that's fine, God. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm just, Jonah, I said Noah. It will happen again. When Jonah, whose nickname was Noah, um, that's what his friends called him. Um, I, I've, I've heard it both ways. Uh, when Jonah, Brother Hammonds, you're in charge of keeping me straight on this, okay? You pay attention now. You, you put that deliberate mind of yours to work. When Jonah's pouting because God didn't destroy him, look at the way the whole book ends. Look what God says. Shouldn't I pity Nineveh? That great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left. And also, a bunch of cattle. (laughs) That is one of the funniest lines in Scripture. That is God's sense of humor in an absolute hilarious way. Shouldn't I care? After all, there are 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left hand. And they got cows. (laughs) Some people might think he was referencing the fact that they were longhorns from the University of Texas. (laughs) But I think after yesterday's game, I'm not sure God's care extends that far. Go Red Raiders. Um, God cares even about their livestock. If God cares about the cows, don't you think he cares about the 120,000 people? And Jonah, you're just sitting there pouting because I didn't destroy them a la Sodom and Gomorrah? 120,000 persons and a lot of cattle. So we know God cares. What else does the story tell us about God? It tells us God plans. You say, what? Oh yeah, God plans. Let's just take a moment and let's look at Jonah chapter 2. And when we look at Jonah chapter 2, I want to look at it with something in mind. Something that happened 750 800 years almost later. And we'll read about that in Matthew 12, 39 and following. So let's do the Matthew first so that that's fresh in your mind. And then after we read the Matthew 12, we'll go back and look at Jonah chapter 2. So Matthew 12, verse 39. Now... Some of the scribes and Pharisees answered Jesus. And they said, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Show us something. 
let's, let's, you know, let's see it. These, these scribes and Pharisees were from Missouri. It's a show me state. But Jesus answered them and said, okay, well, not that people from Missouri are evil and adulterous, though I'm sure they have some evil and adulterous people, but an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. But no sign will be given to you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was in the three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So Jesus references the sign of Jonah. Now, some people will say, then the sign of Jonah, this means that Jonah is clearly just as factual as the resurrection. And I don't fight with anybody who takes that view. I really don't want to get into that fuss here. Because people can also compare, uh, Dr. Hank and I were talking about Jude and and others who compare, um, uh, who use stories well known. Jesus used parables well known to, to draw contrast. So that's not the issue to me here. And, and, and if it is for you, that's fine. I'm, I'm not trying to tread on that. I just want to try and, and don't lose what's being said here because we start arguing about ornithology or whatever it is when you study fish. Um, so let's keep that in mind while we go to Jonah. Hold on. Jonah, 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 Jonah. Jonah is like a page and a half in the Bible. And it's real easy. Oh, it's got to be after Ezekiel. Hold on. It's real easy to skip over it. So i got to make sure I've got my pages. That's Hosea, Joel, Amos. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Here we go. All right. Now look at Jonah chapter 2. Jonah prayed to Jehovah his God from the belly of the fish. Saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Ah, I left out something important. Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. And you heard my voice. Do you see this? Sheol. Sheol is where you went when you were dead. Sheol is the place, the waiting place. In New Testament it's often called Hades, but it's, it's, it's not hell. And if you understand the parables of Jesus with Lazarus and the rich man, it's got its own chasm and those who are are, are in paradise, are like the thief on the cross who joins Jesus in paradise. There's a good part of the Sheol of the afterlife, and there's a place where it's miserable. 
as you await judgment and coming judgment. And that's the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. Lazarus is in the good place. The rich man's in a miserable place. But out of the belly of Sheol, this is a story that's being told with Jonah being dead for three days and three nights. Which, by the way, is typically what would happen if you were in a fish under the water for three days and three nights, absent divine intervention. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. The flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. I said, I'm driven away from your sight. Yet, I shall again look upon your holy temple. If Sheol is death, this is a promise of resurrection. Driven away from your sight. Jesus dies for our sins and the sky turns dark. Jesus dies as a reflection of the goat upon whom the sins of Israel would be sent each year out into the wilderness and driven away. Jesus takes the consequences that we're going to take and it was all set out here. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Hell. Hades, at least. Sheol. Yet, you brought up my life from the pit. This whole story here. is the story of Jesus. O Lord my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. My prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. You know what the Hebrew word for salvation is? Yeshua, Jesus in Greek, English of the Greek. Yeshua, Hebrew, is Jesus' name. It gets translated into Greek as Jesus because the shu, the shin sound in Hebrew, Greeks can't make a sh sound. They don't have an H like an SH sound. They can't make it. It's like... You know, there are some sounds we don't make very well uh, of other languages. They can't do it. So instead, the SH sound, Yeshua, just becomes the S sound, Yesus. And so Yesus, it's got a little different ending because it's got a Greek ending, is just Yeshua. It's, it's, this is Jesus. And that's when, at the end... God speaks to the fish and it vomits Jonah out upon the dry land. This is God's planning. And it's not the only plan that we find in here. Look at this passage in Jonah. Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Jaffa and found a ship going to Tarshish. God says, go preach to the pagans. 
Jonah says, I don't want to go preach to the pagans. I'm going to flee. And he goes to Jaffa to flee. Okay, if you're reading the history of the church in the book of Acts, and you get to Acts chapter 9, Peter is in Jaffa. Peter is in the port city to which Jonah went to flee the presence of the Lord so he didn't have to preach to the pagans. And you know what happens to Peter when he's there? He's told, go preach to the pagans. I want you to go talk to Cornelius. Peter says, hey, man, I keep kosher. I don't, I'm, I've never done anything like that. And God gives him a vision of a sheet descending with all of these kind of animals on it and says, hey, if God made it, don't call it unclean. And God's not talking simply about dietary issues right there. God's talking about care for the pagans. Don't say God, something God made isn't worth you caring about. God plans. This Jonah story, 750 years earlier, is being carried through in history. God plans. But it also tells us God saves. And we get that. Jonah prays to the Lord is God from the belly of the fish. I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Salvation belongs to the Lord. This is yeshua Ta, which is, that's just the ending, Yeshua. That's the name of Jesus right there. yeshua Ta belongs to the Lord. So what does the story say about God? It says he speaks, it says he cares, it says he plans, and it says he saves. Now what does it say about Jonah? Well, first of all, he was a disobedient little cuss. Just because we hear this story in Sunday school or VBS, don't, don't start thinking of Jonah as a great guy. Just because he's a biblical, I mean, he's not a great guy. I, I frankly... I'm not that fond of Jonah. And the, the way the Hebrew's written, it's really graphic how disobedient he is. Look, um, next Saturday, our grandson, John Henry, has his third birthday. And those of you who've had children or know much about children know that, that once they turn two, a switch is thrown in their lives. It's called the terrific twos by people who have a great sense of irony in the way they name things. And he's an adorable kid and he's so obedient and he's so well behaved. But he is still at that age where sometimes if you say, don't pick up the yellow crayon. That's okay and kind of funny with a two-year-old. You have to sometimes not laugh as you try to teach them discipline. But it's not so funny when it's in an old man. And it's God who's telling him. And look at the directions here. God says, arise, kum. That means stand up, kum. Arise, stand up, go to Nineveh. So Jonah arises and flees to Tarshish. Instead of 
you know, he says to arise, to walk, go, walk. So, hey, get up and walk over to Nineveh. Instead, he gets up and he runs the other way. And that's what it's saying in the Hebrew. He's a disobedient fella. What else does it say about him? He's uncaring. (laughs) You got the picture? (laughs) Yeah, I'm about eight months pregnant. Fill her up. (laughs) He's uncaring. Look, the ship threatens to break up. The mariners are scared. Each of them are crying out to their God. And they're, they're, they're hurling the cargo, trying to lighten the boat so they can make landfall. They're just throwing stuff overseas, over the ship, into the sea, to lighten it. But Jonah, he's down in the inner part of the ship, and he's laid down, and he's fast asleep. The Jewish translators into the Septuagint say he's dead asleep, snoring. I mean, he doesn't care. He doesn't care. The, 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 the mariners come down, the ship captain, wake up, wake up, man, you need to be praying to your God. Well, why? Because we're all going to die. Why? We've we got to figure out what's going on. Oh, I know what's going on. What? God's mad at me. Well, thank you very much. We happen to have families. Well, I mean, you can chunk me overboard if you want to. Well, yeah, commit murder. Okay, well, we're going to try to row us to shore, but finally it ain't working. So it's like, okay, see you, have a good day. And they chunk him overboard. I mean, look at the end of the story. You'd think after the whole fish expedition, Jonah would change who he is. But when... God sees how the Ninevites turned from their evil way and he relents of the disaster that he said he would do to them and he didn't do it. What happens? It displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was mighty ticked off. How uncaring, how callous. What else does it say about Jonah? It says that Jonah's out of sync with God. God's headed one way and Jonah's headed the other. Not just literally, Tarshish instead of Nineveh. I mean, we get that. Go to Nineveh, call out against it, its evils come up before me. Jonah rises to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. I mean, you, you get that. Arise, go to Nineveh. Jonah rose, but to flee to Tarshish. And if you go through this scripture, and I don't have time, but it's so fascinating to go through and look at the ups and downs. So God says, go up, go up, go up, because the evil has come up before me, and we need to do something about it. And instead, Jonah goes down, 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 down. He goes down to Joppa, he goes down to the ship, he goes down into the hold of the ship, he gets thrown over the side and goes down into the deeps of the deeps, down into the bases of the mountains, to the depths of Sheol itself. And then he's vomited up, and he's told to get up and to go again. Round two. But you can chart, God's always calling things up, and Jonah is always headed down. 
He's out of sync with God. And he's just downright miserable. When God redeems the, the Ninevites, it displeased Jonah exceedingly. He's angry. And Jonah says, Lord, just kill me now. Just take my life from me. It's better for me to die than to live. Maybe he's thinking about what he was going to have to go home and tell his buddy, Kingy Poo, Jeroboam II. Oh, by the way, I know I'm your counselor, but I did go up there and keep God from destroying our enemy. I don't know. But I can tell you what this says of Jonah. It says he's disobedient. It says that he's uncaring. It says he's out of sync with God. And it says he's miserable. And then the question becomes, what does this say of you and me? And those are our points for home. I'm going to skip this one um, because uh, we don't have time and it'll be a point for home next week. Instead, let's go to this one. What are your priorities? Praise team. Thank you guys for what you do. What are your priorities? God and the kingdom of God need to be your top priority. Not anything else. There's nothing above that line. God and the kingdom of God. And then it needs to be other people. And then third, it can be us. So I need to care most about God and his kingdom and his plans. And then I need to care about other people. And then I can put my own needs and desires out there. That's a really tough thing to practically do day by day. But that's the calling of God. And then uh, a third point that I wanted to make out of this that I think is important for me is if you look and you peel it away, you'll see that crisis reveals character. Who we are when the crisis is upon us is very revelatory about who we really are. And that's why I hope you'll come back next week because I do want to show you how this passage speaks of the importance of growing in the Lord. Because we all, we all, from the youngest to the oldest, can continue to grow in the Lord. And I hope that you'll come back and let me talk about it because the importance of growing in the Lord is deeply rooted in what our priorities are And that will affect what our character is, even in the time of crisis. So that's the class for today. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. Uh, um, uh, Thank you for being here. We've got such a full class right now in here and still people watching on the Internet. It encourages me to work extra hard so that you all come back again next week. So come back again next week or I'll think I did a terrible job today because I really want you to hear the rest of the story of Jonah. And then after we're through with Jonah, you can decide if you want to come to class anymore. All right? Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your caring. I thank you for your planning. I thank you for the way you care and touch each of our lives. And I thank you for the beauty of what you've given us in Scripture and what you've given us through history. And I pray that all of us will be motivated to grow before you. All of us will be motivated to live impassioned lives before you. With you as our priority. Your goals, our goals. Your people, our people. And change our character as we do so, Father. In the name of Jesus, amen.